Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against weight stigma, diet culture, fat phobia, ableism, racism, etc. You can get more Fat Joy goodness, including how you can support the podcast through my newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com. And for episode transcripts, book reviews, and show notes, head to the Fat Joy website at fatjoy.life. I am so glad you're here. Enjoy this episode. Well, hello, lovelies, and welcome back to the Fat Joy Podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Apostle, and I'm very excited to bring back Christy Alesco for part two because we recorded part one a couple months ago and we're like, there is still so much more we have to talk about. So, Christy, you are back. Yay. Welcome. Thank you for having me back. So, so good. So Christy, part one, we focused on your work as an RMT. We talked about kind of big picture stuff. Where are you taking us this time? Yeah. So last time we were talking about very basic kind of massage considerations that uh, can apply for almost everyone. Um, And we kind of left this gap of what I actually do day to day which is my work with individuals to help them recover from pain and injury. And um, specifically, I think one of the ways I bring the most value to my patients every day is um, approaching exercise therapy because exercise therapy is in my scope of practice um, for injury rehab and prevention. But with that kind of fat empathy that not everyone has uh been able to experience and realizing how many people find exercise uh, and even the someone telling them to exercise so traumatic. Oh my God. Even as you said the word exercise, I can feel, and I was an athlete, like this is a word I'm very familiar with, but I don't know over the last couple of years, especially in my fat liberation journey, the word now has taken on a bit of a menacing tone. And I don't like that. I don't want it to, but I think because there's so many words that have been weaponized against fat people. And I feel like exercise is one of them. And I've really, like, I feel that now no one says the word exercise to me in a non-loaded way (laughs) these days. And imagine you're in a one-on-one appointment with someone you're paying to help you. And they say the way through your pain is exercise. And how do you not hear that and think, oh, it's my fault or or what all the feelings that aren't even thoughts that bubble up with that. So what I'm hoping we can do today is like uh, share some of that knowledge, some of that opportunity to to reach out and use exercise and not have it gate kept by people who don't find it so traumatizing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, and I had an experience recently. Um, I probably talked about it in our last episode, which I don't remember because it was months ago. <laughs> Spoiler uh, for everyone listening. We record these a little far apart. 
was with a physio who herself was, I would say, uh, you know, on on the plus side. And the the words that she used and the advice that she gave me about my knee, it was not neutral, I will say. And I was like, oh my God, this shit again. Like it was so deflating. And I was like, and then you're always, it, I, and I'm just going to share this because I think a lot of people can relate to this. And I'm wanting to set up how you're going to share it differently, which is then we are in a position of, okay, so do I just nod along to get through this? Do I take a moment and educate or try? Do I get angry? Do I like, like there's this question of what emotional labor do I feel I have to perform? Uh, do I have the privilege, the power, the safety to perform it? Is it better for me to just like go along to get along? Like we we are suddenly plunged in the moment. It's, and especially these are often moments and in all medical and body situations where we're here because something is not working the way we want it to. So I'm in pain and now I also have to do emotional labor and now I'm angry and that's not certainly going to help <laughs> my body in this moment. So there's just so much in these moments. So I'm very excited to talk to you about, um, and we're going to talk about three specific injuries or things that happen to our bodies that we can in, just kind of, I guess, engage with in a bit of a different way. And so we're going to talk about knees, we're going to talk about plantar fasciitis, and we're going to talk about tension headaches. And I just have to tell everyone, when you told me at the beginning, before we start recording, that we're doing those, I'm like, amazing, I have all three. I raised my hand. I'm like, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Um, so, Christy, how do you want to lead us into this? What should we start with? You know what? With a couple real big caveats. With um, <laughs> um, It's one thing to say nothing here constitutes medical advice because I don't know who's listening and I don't know the individual intricacies of the person's body who is listening. And, you know, a hundred people and one person's going to have a rare different presentation of something and the advice I'm going to give isn't going to be as useful. Um, furthermore, I'm coming up on two years of a current plantar fasciitis, um, flare up. So it's not like I, what I'm telling you is a hundred percent guaranteed perfect, right? I've only just started seeing a physio cause I thought I could do everything on my own. <laughs> um, so everything here is very general. If you are having severe presentation to the level that your life is being affected, with any of these things, seek out any number of different health pro uh, professionals who you think can help you. Um, there's always the medical tract. Um, there's always physiotherapy or physical therapy, depending how it's called in your country. Massage therapy in states and provinces where it's well-regulated are good professionals to help you. Um, there's a huge range. A medical tract is often like your family doctor or general practitioner. Okay. Yeah. Got it. That's really great. Any other caveats for us, Christy? There's the other caveat. This might not be always be specific to you. Might not be perfect. <laughs> and I'm not a, you know, a light on the top of a mountain with perfect knowledge. I, I have some workable knowledge based on my education and uh, clinical training. So if, and oh, also, Research is changing around a lot of these things. So if you're someone who's listening who has a lot of knowledge about something we talk about today and what I'm saying might not totally line up with how you think about things, 
That is fantastic information. Let me know what's up. I did a research review to make sure I wasn't spouting complete randomness from 20 years ago today, but it's always okay to, to get a refreshed or I'm open to hearing new things. Christy, I just want to say I love that you started with caveats and I actually almost view these as like permissions, permission for you as the speaker, but also permission for the listeners, for everyone to caretake themselves in ways that feel responsible and loving and that what we're here, I would say, and I'm curious if you would, what you would say, I would say that we're here to receive from you ways where we can empower and advocate for ourselves with some additional knowledge. Does that, is that kind of what, like what you would say? The whole point of my job is empowering people in their bodies to listen to their body, try things out, see how it feels in their body, and then, you know, work really hard to get better. I love it. Perfect. So it's all about the empowerment. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. That's great. So I have a very facetious question. Are we starting top down or bottom up? I feel like we need to start with feet and go feet up. I like it. Feet up. Okay. <laughs> you're just happy because like, you, you, I know you're more interested in the knees, but they're smack in the middle of the body and we can't possibly start there. Oh, I'm interested in all of them actually. And, and also in my head, I don't know if this is true for anyone else listening, but this song, Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes, is running as a bit of a ticker tape right now in the back of my mind. Okay, so feet. Oh, Feet. Feet. Plantar fasciitis. Um, it is essentially pain in the bottom of the foot, right? It is... The clo- closest way you can think about it is like a tendinopathy. Any type of tendonitis you've had in your arm or your wrist it's quite similar to what's going on in the foot even though it's called fasciitis it's not always inflammation um it can so it's just chronic pain in the tissues that attach to your heel and go through your foot and some of the main aggravating factors it's it's an overuse injury right and when we say overuse injury i'm not meaning you're just overusing it I mean, it's being overused in comparison to its capacity and strength. Oh, interesting. So when we say overuse, this is why I'm bringing it up with often fat people is because weight is going to be an element of its overuse, which is why if you read the research on it, they'll say BMI is a contributing factor. Other contributing factors are going to be things like a lot of walking, a lot of running, more the running, more heavy, hard, repeated impact, altered gaits. Um, one of the most common groups of people to get plantar fasciitis are people who are walking around pools a lot because they're barefoot on cement. Oh, and so so is it that the in that case, the foot doesn't have like support? So it's like being stretched or something? What's that it's often about? Being, it can be very, very tight. And then as you walk flat-footed or barefoot, you'll stretch and if there's a lot of weight behind the stretch, it can stretch beyond its normal ability to um, do so on its own. So you can get some micro damage that way. That's normal. Tissue gets damaged and heals itself constantly. What we're looking with plantar fasciitis is that ratio is off a little bit. It's not having a chance to heal 
and it's creating pain to tell you like something's off here. Right. And it is painful. It is so painful. Yeah. I haven't had a flare up for a number of years, but when I had it, it was, it was, it was debilitating. I was like, I, I can't walk on this foot. Yeah. And on average, once you've got it, you've got it for six months to a year. Yes. Yeah. Good. So my first bout of this was before I became a, a massage therapist and I was in my mid to late twenties and I was just like, I can't walk. I can't go on a walk with my friends. Like I've got enough problems as it is. And it was so emotional and so horrible. And it was one of the things that brought me uh, into massage therapy. And mine started the first round because I had taken up running and I had run my first 5k and I was so happy and I was so pumped and I had done really well training and I took two weeks off. In those two weeks after my race, everything kind of tensed up. I was tight. And then I proceeded to go on another 5K run. And so I overburdened what my foot was capable of. Interesting. With tendon, so because we have tendons and ligaments. And so tendons attach bone to bone? Tendons are bone to muscle. Bone to muscle. Okay. Ligaments are bone to bone. And then there's also just the plantar fascia, which is like a continuation of just like connective tissue that's going to wrap around the whole thing. Yeah. Almost like plastic wrap or something, right? The fascia. Yeah, and it's wrapped around every tendon. It's wrapped around everything. It's, it's literally con- continuous connective tissue through the body. Right. Right. So one of the things you'll, you'll be told if you've got plantar fasciitis, again, pain on the bottom of the foot, either more through the foot, but most commonly right at the heel, um, is to stretch your calves. And so that's because the muscles behind the back of the calf literally wrap around the heel and it's a continuous tissue through the bottom of the foot. So if you can relax your calves, stretch your calves, I'm currently getting dry needling in my calves to make them relax. Oh, what's dry needling? I don't know what that is. It's a physio technique where they make the muscle spasm and then it completely relaxes. Oh, different from acupuncture? Yes, but similar. Similar mechanism. I think different outcome. You're going to need an acupuncturist. Okay, next, <laughs> next time again. <laughs> um, so a patient comes to me, say with plantar fasciitis. It's been going on for six months. They've done everything they can do. There's a couple of questions I want to know. Is your foot red hot, waking up in the morning, walking on broken glass levels of pain? If that's what's happening, if you're in that sharp, horrible, ripping feeling in your feet, you need to rest, you need to take care of them, you need to protect them, right? And so that's going to mean things like having a pair of shoes right outside your bed that you put on right away, right? You're always going to be walking on squishy, squishy, squishy things. Take care of your feet. If you are going to go for a walk, you got to warm them up first. So that could mean massage from yourself. That could mean a very slow, gentle start to your walk. Um, That can mean just ankle pumps and some motion as lotion, getting some blood into the feet before you start walking. Um, So it's all going to be about pain relief and care and attention when you're at that level. When it's red hot like that. And that is because, and why it's worse in the morning is that everything's tightened overnight? Things tightened overnight. And when you put your feet flat on your bedroom floor first thing in the morning and they're not warm, your your body just can't absorb 
the pressure in the same way. Interesting. Yeah. And you're getting big no signals from your feet going, I don't like this. Let's not do this. Oh, so we should listen to the no signals is what you're saying. should listen to the no signals. (laughs) Yeah. And that's going to be a big part of this, right? Like listen to the no signals. Which is in direct opposition to no pain, no gain. I just have to put a little plug in there for like our toxic wellness culture. (laughs) I say, I have to say no pain, no gain doesn't apply so many times in my work life now. Yeah. Doesn't always apply during the massage. Um, and it does not apply always to home care. So you get through that kind of acutely pain with some rest and some care and, and just some love. And then if you get into the chronic sphere where it's more like, it's still painful, but it's more local. And it's like, I describe it for me as like a dark, itchy feeling, like a real deep ache right in the bone. Yeah, that's what mine was. That's your chronic phase often that you need to you know you daily you need to be stretching your calves getting them softer um a lot of stretching but you're also in the strengthening phase and so this is where you're going to be doing heel lifts you've actually got to take those tight muscles of your calves and actually make them stronger and a heel lift is like you just go up on your tiptoes is that what a heel lift is okay that's the basic one um, doing a couple of those a couple times a day. Um, but then also the great one and within pain tolerance, cause this shouldn't be acutely painful is stand on a stair. Like you've been doing your heel lifts and then drop your heels and just get a beautiful stretch through the bottom of your foot and through your whole calf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then go up and then go nice down slowly again, because it's the loading of going down. It's a stretch and a strength at the same time. Oh, yeah. And what I would generally say for something like plantar fasciitis or something like a rotator cuff problem, too, like some of these tendinopathies is you probably for most people need to be exercising it a lot more than you think. Like probably a good like two or three times a day for 15 minutes, as long as that doesn't make it worse. Okay. So you're kind of trying to find, I love it. What was that word you used? Tolerance, exercise, uh, paint? Pain tolerance. Within tolerance. Tolerance. Okay. Nothing that makes it worse. Nothing that makes you feel like absolute garbage the next day. Finding your sweet spot. And then building? Give it two weeks. Give it two weeks where you're like already doing a lot and give it some space. That'll usually do it. Um, And this is one of those parts where I said, you know, I'm not talking to everybody. There's someone out there who, if they're told I should exercise three times a day, they're going to do it six times a day. And that is wonderful. I'm so happy for them. But what I'm saying is for most people, most of the time, Extendinopathies or plantar fasciitis, we need to be exercising it more than we are as a general, general thing. Now, let's bring in the fatness piece because I imagine, and I certainly heard this when I was struggling with plantar fasciitis, was that, and you should probably drop some weight, like all of that stuff. So, what's do do clients ask you that? What do you say? Oh, wow. What clients ask me is quite the thing. Here's my answer. Great. Do you think I don't have other reasons to lose weight from society telling me that constantly? So if you think that's the solution to this problem, 
then we don't actually have a solution. And that if that is the only solution you're going to offer, then you're not actually interested in helping me. Right, right. That's where I'm at. Yeah, like as like if I was a client and someone said that to me, I'd be like, okay, yeah, and what else? Great, thanks. So what I'll tell somebody is, so I'll have a patient who will come in, let's say it's plantar fasciitis, and they'll go, oh, I know my weight is probably why this is happening. Side note, the amount of non-fat people who say that about almost everything would blow your mind. Oh, really? It would. I did not think non-fat it people said that. It is constant. The amount, like, this is the other thing I've learned from my work, is the fat phobia against people's own selves when they are not fat is insane. It's, like, it's so bad. People are working so hard. Every time I've been insecure about going to a new workout environment or anything, there's a straight-sized, incredibly fit somebody who you wouldn't think would have any of the same feelings of me as me who is having all of them. Right. I mean, this is where we talk about like diet culture affects everybody. Anti-fat bias affects everybody. Totally. Oh. So a patient comes in and says something like, oh, I know my weight's um, a factor with my feet. And I'd go, sure. The research definitely shows that Size can be a factor that influences this, but it's certainly not the cause because then everyone would have it. And then no one who is fat would ever have this. Right. And so, sure, if it's one, you know, Christmas ornament on the tree, that's a really pathetic tree. We've got 50 other things there we can work on. Yeah, that we can take action on that don't require. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I Honestly, that's true for literally everything. Everything we know about fat and health fits into that. Yeah. That box. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so your role as a massage therapist then, when someone comes in with plantar fasciitis, are you helping them with that stretching? Yeah. So I'm definitely going to work within their tolerance um, to get the calves more soft and pliable and tender. So that could be a really gentle massage if that's where we're starting or I can go in there pretty aggressively um, and be working up near their boundaries for at least part of the massage. Get that the, all that tissue stretching, lengthened, feeling good. And then when a muscle isn't as cramped and tight, it's actually stronger because it has room for more contractile possibility. So then I'm like, great, now you will have home care. You will strengthen your calf um, I'll show them the exercises and you'll stretch your calf and then you'll come and see me for like checkups and we'll, we'll keep on it. Like I'll keep doing the same thing. We'll see how you're progressing. We'll modify as needed. Like maybe you actually do need, like we need to double your home care. Like I've been telling you to do this once a day. Maybe you need to be doing it two or three times a day because it wasn't hurting you, but it also wasn't helping you enough. So great. Now it's safe for us to increase it. Yeah. And I think that's always such an interesting balance between healing and building strength, like how both of those can happen at the same time. I'm really, I'm pretty fascinated by that. Well, they're also kind of the same thing, right? Because when you're promoting healing, that's a proliferation of uh, repairing cells, building cells, and that's increasing strength as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, 
I will say for my plantar fasciitis, after I got through like the acute phase and the chronic phase started to lessen, I found for me, and I don't know if this is just me, I started wearing Birkenstock sandals and I wear them all the time. Like I wear them in the house. The kids are always like, why you wear shoes in the house? I'm like, because my feet need them. So I always wear my Birks and I have really, and you know, the shoes when I leave the house are like supportive and that I feel like that made a big difference, but I have this little worry that, oh gosh, now like can my feet not function without support and is that a bad thing and i don't know if that's just a toxic belief or not i also bought my first pair of burks uh this summer i also bought my first pair of crocs because i got platform crocs for dancing in because they were the most comfortable thing so i could keep dancing um so supportive shoes uh fantastic we don't want to be walking around in pain get shoes that don't put you in pain so i don't need to break myself that i'm weak no, you definitely don't. But I understand we're human beings. We might want to be able to, at some point, walk barefoot for some purpose. So at some point, if you can do it, if you're in that phase where it's not torturing your feet, walk barefoot a little bit. Mm. If you feel like your plantar fasciitis has recovered to a point where you're not too worried in your own home, don't wear the Burks in the house for a while. Give it a day. See if that aggravates it. So you can, and, and by the way, you're also going to be doing all your home care barefoot anyway. So that's going to be things like scrunching towels up with your toes and getting all those intrinsic foot muscles. So the muscles just in the foot, getting those moving and stronger too. So yeah, there's going to be some space for some increase in foot strength, even outside of you wearing shoes. Cool. Nice. Thank you. That's really helpful. I also don't want to have to tell someone who can't afford to buy two or three new pairs of shoes that there's nothing they can do, right? Mm -hmm. So that's going to be things like be gentle with your feet, um, really minimize your barefoot time, right? Um, and then really working more on strength. Yeah. Well, and I will say too, the other thing that is helpful, again, on the, because, you know, these shoes are not cheap, is I also got like, insoles and those were much more cost effective and I just put them in my shoes and that was really helpful too. Best thing you can do is throw some heel cups, something, a heel cup that just lifts your heel up when you're in that really acute painful phase. Again, the, the goal is to not always have to wear heel cups, but to get you through a lot of that, absolutely. Um, I was treating a friend of mine who uh, had PF and she was almost done. She was doing great and I was driving her and some people to a bar and she was putting shoes on and she put on like a cute pair of like leather flats, right? And we get out to the car and she's like, oh, I forgot my heel cups. <laughs> I was like, go back in and get your heel cups. She's like, no, I'm fine. My feet haven't hurt for a while. I'm like, you're going to be on your feet in a bar. Yeah. Go get your heel cups. I will not drive you unless you bring them. <laughs> I love that. Because she was still in that phase. Yeah, where she could re-injure. Totally. And you can get heel cups, like you can get basic ones at a drugstore for under 20. And I, there's a running store I send people to where you can go buy like little no-name um, random heel cups for under $5. Okay, that's great. I've never even heard of heel cups before, so I'm going to check that out. 
Very cool. All right. So plantar fasciitis, you have solved all our problems. <laughs> so knees, we're going up the body. We're now into knees. Oh, knees are complex. Knees are so complex. So when people tell me they have knee pain, first thing I ask is where on the knee? Because there are so many different parts of the knee. There's the sides, there's the front, there's the back. There's different stuff in between. There's stuff on the sides. Um, what I generally hear from people, the first thing they'll say, though, is it's pain right in the middle, right around the kneecap or right below the kneecap. That's what you're feeling? Mm -hmm. Well, I know what mine is because I've been going to physio for it. But yeah, so. Um, that's tight quads. That like your quads are one of one of the is it the biggest muscle? I think they're the biggest. Yeah, and there's four of them. It's a massive, massive group of muscles. They actually start on the back of your thigh and are huge. They come all the way around the front and then they all insert. Just or they wrap around your kneecap and insert right below it. So it's all of that force on one spot. Oh, amazing. Hello, Sophia here, interrupting myself <laughs> to invite you to the Fat Joy newsletter. You've heard me talk about how I created Fat Joy out of rage. Well, this newsletter was created out of longing, a longing for more connection to the Fat Joy community. I'm also creating community through Fat Joy workshops. So if you're also craving connection and spaces where you can explore your own Fat Joy, become a subscriber of the newsletter because that's where I'll be sharing all the workshop details. You can head to fatjoy.substack.com where you can become a subscriber for free or for $5 a month to get some bonus content. You are wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So, and here's the other fun thing. Your general, everyone's got different posture, but if we were to make a very big generalization, in general, fat women, we, um, our torsos rotate forward a little bit if we have an apron belly. Um, our butts kind of come out and up. Um, and so what ends up happening is we really, we use our calves a lot and we use our quads a lot and our glutes and our hamstrings kind of can piece out. Oh my God. That's what my physio said to me. She's like, you don't use your butt at all. I'm like, I don't. <laughs> so yeah. But I'm bringing it with me all the time. I know. It's like, it's, it's very prominent. It's right there, but yeah. And then yeah. there's layers of butt. There are layers of butt. Some are participating and some are not interested. <laughs> so basically, if, if you look at how, if you ask me to run up a, or walk up a flight of stairs, let's be honest, um, but running too, I would almost entirely be using my calves, pushing my foot up and my quads extending my knee. If you ask me to walk up a flight of stairs and really prioritize using my glutes and hamstrings, it is a very different experience and it feels very different. But my calves and my quads are strong. They're the muscles my brain knows to call on. And so I just use them. And this is very particular to fat women. Well, I think it applies to a lot of people. Um, but I think 
percentage wise, I'm, I'm more comfortable saying more fat women probably, if you're feeling knee pain, it's probably not your first, your first thing you should check is that it's not just a tight muscle pulling on your knee. And I'm more comfortable saying that to fat women because the odds of it being uh, something more complicated. Yeah. I get it totally does because I have an apron belly. I have large breasts and I totally do the butt tilt. And so whenever I'm walking, I'm very consciously trying to like tuck my butt a little bit to remember I have a butt to even use my butt when I walk. And like I, I, when you said like these, like I, that is totally what happens with my body. Yeah. Um, and you know what? This definitely applies to straight sized people as well. I definitely had a patient who I, two patients in particular who um, needed to activate their hamstrings more. And one of them was, you know, doing hotel stairs as their main exercise when they were on the road. Um, and she was like, no, I'm running upstairs every day. And I'm like, yeah, you're running up on your toes. Go up the flight of stairs and stomp your feet on your heels. Yes. And <laughs> we literally had to go in the hallway of my clinic and go up the stairs for her to feel like, oh, that does make my hamstrings work. Yeah. Okay. So this does apply to a lot of different bodies for sure. Well, and I just love that very practical tip to people listening pay attention the next time you walk up a set of stairs and like what part of you are you engaging and and use your quads your quads are there for you to use i would just like their lazy coworker to pitch in a little bit more especially when your knees are hurting yes okay but the other aspect is just use your quads more too right let them be stronger and then let them stretch and let them recover so that could also be enough to help reduce some of that knee pain. So that could mean massaging your thighs. That can mean getting a rolling pin and rolling your quads out in the evening, especially right down the middle, like in a straight line, straight down above your kneecap, especially right above your kneecap. Those are areas really, really indicated for massage to resolve that knee pain. Oh, interesting. And I love that it's a rolling pin. I don't need to buy a fancy roller or something. You can buy a fancy one. You can buy a real fancy one that's got knobs and bits and really gets in there. You can also take a tennis ball or a racquetball or even a golf ball, put it in the palm of your hand and roll it over your thigh. Okay. And gently, you're not looking to bruise yourself. You're not looking to cause pain. You're looking to like move tissues over each other and just create some movement. Mm. The other thing with... um. I had a flare up of a little bit of that kind of pain. And once I started riding my bike more in the summer, it went away because I was using that muscle more often and I essentially beat it into submission. So for a lot of these, these kind of pains, again, more activity can often be the solution or a modification to the activity, like changing how you're going upstairs. Yeah, that's what happened with me. My kneecap, was kind of because the knee it's very interesting I mean again the knee is so complex and when we were looking at like the model of the knee in the physio clinic my kneecap was there's a channel that it's supposed to slide up and down on mm -hmm. I mean within a centimeter like it doesn't move much but yeah but mine was like kind of like coming out of that a little bit yes so this is the next part what I'll say 
it's supposed to be moving perfectly up and down, right? For a lot of people that the tracking, it's patellar tracking syndrome. Something like, yes, that's what she said, I think. The patella, so your little kneecap starts just like, but I just want to go to the right. Or oh, yeah. I just want to go to the outside. That's because the muscles on your outside of your thigh are a little bit tighter. They've gripped on and they're not, they're tugging it a little bit off, off course. Yeah. Yeah. So my guess is what you were probably told is glute strengthening and quad stretching. Yep. And I did lots of exercises. And then do you know what happened? And what totally basically cured it is I got a puppy who needed to be walked five times a day minimum. And I was like, at like two weeks into having her, I was like, oh my God, I didn't even notice, but my knee is perfect. And it was this increased activity. So I don't know, the puppy cure, I don't know, but it was like, <laughs> but it was the activity level. And as she's gotten older, I've been walking her a little less, more like three walks and I'm starting to notice it again, Christy. So I think I need to be more rigorous. And when I'm not walking her as much, I think I need to keep focus on that strength building. Yeah. And if, if you find like, the, if you don't have time for the walking, you did set a timer for 20 minutes. Um, Cause I don't, I don't love exercise where it's do this number, this number, this number. My system that I find works for me and works for a lot of my patients is set a timer, start small, start for five, but you might, you might want to build up to 20 and do exercises. You know how to do in repetition cycles of what feels good for you until the timer goes off. Oh, I love that. So for you, that could be that could be your glute strengthening. Um, and that could be your quad stretches. Uh, it could be some really good squats. Yeah, sumo squats are my thing. Because I also have an old skiing injury for, uh, that has a partial tear of my, my ACL, my MCL on the other knee. And so I can't do anything that twists. So I find sumo squats, which are when your legs are kind of like a little more than shoulder width apart. And, they, and you kind of are like sitting back in your chair. I find for anyone listening who doesn't know what a sumo squat is, like I find that really gets all of the things that are supposed to be firing, firing. And I have to say, like, I feel damn powerful doing sumo squats. I'm like, man, I am a beast. This is amazing. Like I could squat a car. Like there's something really that feels actually really good about intentionally strengthening my muscles. Totally. And oh, there's so many good fitness influencers out there who are just so honestly, you know what I've given people for home care, Instagram accounts to follow. And I'm like, you don't need to do the exercises. I just want you to watch Meg Boggs do squat. Oh, Meg's great. Okay. I'm going to put her in the show notes. Uh, or um, uh, Latoya Snell, big fat running chef. I think I'm saying her name right. Um, I'm like, watch their Instagram and watch one of their workouts. You don't even need to do it yet. Just get inspired that you're capable one day, maybe if you want to. Yeah. Well, an episode that aired recently on the podcast was with um, Tamara Walcott, who is the world's strongest woman. And in a four-year span, she went from couch to like Guinness world record. And so she's got a lot of videos too on like, just again, if you need inspo of fat people doing kick-ass stuff, like there are so many amazing people out there. So I'll include those in the show notes for for people listening as well. Um, the other thing I'll say about knees um, is they are complicated. There's tissues in there. There's the meniscus. You can have ligament tears. Um, get your knees assessed. If you're just having kind of that basic top of the knee pain, try what we've talked about. 
within reason. Don't hurt yourself. Um, but if you're feeling like, especially if something really abrupt happened, like there was an impact, you fell, anything like that, anything where there could actually be like immediate trauma, go get it assessed. Figure out what tissue actually is angry and a, an actual rehab plan. I just have to say it. I just have to give a shout out. Like if your physician is like, mm, lose some weight and come back, you you have to advocate for, your, for yourself. Get the MRI, get the x-ray, like be insistent. Because I fat people, when it comes to knees, as someone who had a knee injury in her 20s, and so I've had a 20-something year knee injury now, it just gets ignored for like, lose weight and then we'll talk. It's like, no, no, there's an acute injury that needs to be worked on. And this is a time to do the emotional labor and fight for your rights, I think, in my opinion. And you can also play the game and you can go, sure, but reasonably, <laughs> sure, let's say that happens. Great. We're talking about what, a multi-year project? What can I be doing within that year? You're so much more diplomatic than me, Christy. I'm like, fight, fight. You're like, let's just have a reasonable conversation. I love it. Go do it Christy's way. <laughs> you should be, no, don't always do it my way. Don't always. This way is not right for everybody in every situation. But I love that you and I could be angels and devils on shoulders. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> Take us with you, people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, so good. Yeah. Uh, tension headaches. Oh, tension headaches. Oh my God. Everyone, I almost want to, I wish I could just like see everybody listening right now and say, okay, raise your hand if you struggle with tension headaches. Cause holy smokes, I just came out of a meeting and like half the people in the meeting were like, yeah, like I've got this headache and I'm feeling it in my shoulders. I mean, like it is such a thing. And yeah, it definitely impacts me in a really big way. And I feel like every time I may have mentioned this, but every time I go to massage therapist, they're like, what do you want me to do? I'm like, shoulders and neck like and they're like the whole hour I'm like please and they're like that's a lot I'm like I know it is a lot so it's such a thing and I think also we're also sitting a lot like there's so many and I don't think there's much that inherently connects fatness with tension headaches but um a little bit of actually my own story if I can tell you this please yes so I I got thrown off a horse when I was like a toddler small child preschooler and my, I remember waking up on my parents' bed. So I got knocked out. So I, as a small child, had a concussion slash whiplash. And I just knew that, but I didn't think about it. And then it was only in probably 2012, 2013. Um, so I'm 30-something, early 30s in massage school. And we're learning how to do those suboccipital holds. So the two points in the back of the neck. And I hate that. I hated those. Okay, so I had always hated them. I had headaches as a kid, and my mom tried to do that, and I think I, like, smacked her. I was like, that is the most painful thing I've ever experienced. Get away from me. And I remember doing sit-ups as a small child in, like, grade four or five, like, testing sit-ups, and they hurt my neck. That was the only, like, I didn't feel them in my abdomen. Most exercise as a kid hurt my neck. And it's only when I'm 30, when I'm chatting with one of my teachers in massage school, because I'm like, I can't learn how to do this through empathy because it's torture for me. And I get the most screaming headaches. Um, how do I learn how to actually do this? And she was like, um, have you had trauma? And I'm like, no. I mean, I've been in some mild car accidents, but nothing that hurt my neck. And she's like, okay. And she goes farther and farther back. And she's like, did you have birth trauma? And I'm like, 
Oh, I did. I did get thrown off a horse and have a concussion. And I realized I had had concussion symptoms and whiplash symptoms my whole life. No. And I'd never done anything about them. Like as a child, we cut my hair. We got my eyes tested. We were doing all these things. But no, it wasn't connected to the actual horse incident. I, I think it was. I think I had a concussion at such a young age. And then my neck and head, just I had symptoms that never got resolved. So I had all this chronic tightness. Right. Oh, no, I meant like your family never connected it to that fall. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, that's why so much exercise as a small child was so painful. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So tension headaches are such a big deal um, uh, for a lot of people. And I take that really seriously. So my teacher's advice for me at that time was, you kind of need to get your suboccipitals worked on. But don't let, you know, we're, we're all learning in school, right? She's like, only work with classmates you very much trust and be able to tell them to stop at a moment's notice if they're getting to in there. And so that's advice I would share with anyone else who might be connecting with what I'm saying. That's such good advice. Slow and steady work through the neck and the suboccipitals and the scalp and the shoulders and if it starts triggering a bad headache, be able to walk away or be able to hold it until it actually releases. So a certain amount of like therapist confidence is going to be necessary. Yeah. Well, and I have, I, I imagine this is true beyond just my experience, but like when it comes to neck and head, the, it's amazing how like the smallest movement can have really like negative consequences where like even someone working on it, it, like I love this whole like the empowered no, like tell the person when it's like, oh, there's some, this doesn't quite feel right. Like you, we know our own bodies better than anyone because I've definitely had some massage therapists where they're like, okay, I'm just gonna like do this. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna trust their expertise, which goes, I think is good. But then I was like, oh no, I think that's not right for my body. And I didn't say something and it would just trigger a whole like, problematic, almost like migraine level situation for, for days. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly kind of what I would experience too. So because I know this, my conversations with patients are like, okay, this is the extreme end of what could happen, or this is what's more likely to happen. Um, or if I, another thing I'll ask people is, okay, you've had a bad experience with massage to your neck and head before. Did you know in the moment that it was going to get bad? And sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, I knew the second she got into this one spot that this was not going to work. I was like, okay, that's great news. You need to tell me if we even get near that. And some people are like, no, I had no idea. It's just the next day it kicked up. And I'm like, well, that is harder to work with, but I'm sure we can do something. And then you just start slow and you build up and you find that level where you can work at without while being effective without triggering negative consequences. Yeah. And so wh uh, what causes most tension headaches for people? Oh, man. So the muscle is, oh, that is, that's a complicated question. Right. I think it's probably very different. Like I have, feel like I have a sense of what causes it for me, but I'm just curious if there are some generalizations for people. There's a, I mean, there's different kinds of headaches. There's the tension headache. There's a cervicogenic headache, is, which is just literally coming from the neck. But I think more the, the joints of the neck than the muscles. You know what? 
I think that might be one of the issues. I can't give you a good solid answer on a technical pathological level of why that's happening. Um, other than the neck is very sensitive. The neck has so much sensor um, and same with the muscles and all the tendons and ligaments of the neck to tell you where the neck is in space and what's what it's doing. It also works unconsciously a lot. So like our bodies will do absolutely anything to keep our eyes level with the horizon. Oh, so if like something tilts you, your body will do something else to tilt to keep the eyes level. Um, there's also things that happen um, with reflexes in the neck. If you see something in your peripheral vision that you're not expecting, your neck muscles will turn to look at it before you've made a conscious decision to do it. It bypasses your frontal lobe entirely. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And also can be painful. I have experienced that too. <laughs> it can also be painful. Um, exercise and stuff for the neck. It stretches and strength and motion is lotion. So any kind of movement. Um, and then ultimately you got to talk about posture a little bit. And this is, I think, where we kind of bump up what we've been talking about. We talk about posture like we talk about body size, like it's a moral failing, like bad people have bad posture, fat bodies have bad posture, when we absolutely know posture has nothing to do with morality and it has a lot to do with like histories of trauma and whether you want to be seen or invisible or all of those things. Yes, yes. So, and I, I, Obviously, if you spend, you can tell, I told myself when I started this podcast, I'm like, because again, I'm getting over some stuff. If I get interested in the conversation, I'm going to start leaning forward. I'm going to start bending closer to my t my computer, right? But I know posturally, I'm going to be happier if I like pull my shoulders back. I make my head a little bit taller and I pull my chin into my neck. So let's talk about that one. I think that's probably the most interesting thing we could talk about and is one of the best things you can do for the posture of your neck related to tension headaches is stretch your suboccipital area and strengthen your deep neck flexors. And that means giving yourself a double chin. Yes, this is it. This is why, again, I'm going to totally gender overgeneralize, but this is why I think women really struggle with this because we don't want the double or, you know, society tells us we should not have the double chin and that we should always like suck in our belly. So like there's all these mechanics that we put contortions that we do to our body to appear a certain way that actually is really detrimental. Yeah. Look, you can't walk around like you're posing for photos the whole time. So occasionally you've got to, you know, you pull your chin gently into your spine, give a double chin, maybe feel a stretch through the ridge of the back of your head roll your shoulders back and bring your breasts up, right? I think we, a lot of us want to curl, curl in, bend forward sometimes. And, but think about your sternum. So the bone at the top of your chest pointing up at the sky. Yeah. And rolling the shoulders back and doing that and letting the chin come in a little bit can feel so relieving. It can also feel very emotional. If you feel like you're trying to put your body in a position it doesn't naturally want to be in, but you're told is the right way for it to be. Interesting. Do you think that emotion is tied to our beliefs about what that posture then like opens us up to or has us appear differently? Like, what do you think the emotion is about? I don't know. I think it could be a lot of things. Um, but I tell you, the time I did a postural exercise in a course where like 
They went through every little bit of your body and did proper posture. I have been never been more furious in my life. Oh, it was anger for you. Hmm. It brought up, and I'm generally not angry, but I'm like, this feels horrible. Ah. And I don't know if it was anger kind of about that body structure thing, someone telling me what to do, or if it was something else in the body, but it's, it's complicated. Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like a whole other podcast is like an episode talking about how we hold our body related to wanting to be seen or not being seen. Like that's just a huge, huge thing too. Yeah. Okay. So tuck the chin, roll back the shoulders, sternum to the sky. And that's just, that's just a couple of cues. What's more important about anything is movement. Mm -hmm. We're humans. We can put ourselves in horrible cramps, strange positions. And that's wonderful. We should do that. And then we should move. <laughs> it's like the, going back to the plantar fasciitis. Like our feet, wear heels. Wear weird, uncomfortable shoes if that's what you want to do. And then change them. Like none of these things are problems unless they're happening constantly. Right, right. Same thing with posture. If you need to curl up with your phone in like a little shrimp asana, like, <laughs> I know. I was like, if I'm doom scrolling for three hours, then what I should do is move. <laughs> Treat your body to a stretch break halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> right? Motion is lotion. Just take a movement break. I've never heard that phrase. I love it. Motion is lotion. So good, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it's, it's just, it's being nice to your body and it's creating a practice of being nice to your body. And you also get to decide what that looks like for you. Got it. Yeah. These are simply options I have for you. I love that. Okay. And so tension headaches. So you as a, a massage therapist are going to work at people's level of tolerance. Should people get tension headaches? Because with the other two, it was like, hey, if it's feeling severe, like go and get it checked out. Similar with tension headaches? Yeah, because I don't, I can't tell you for sure that's a tension headache. Right. Okay. It might be a tension headache. It could be something much more severe. Like, so if you've got chronic stuff going on, go get checked out. Um, so that could be a doctor if you think it's, um, if it's at that level. It could be a physio or a chiropractor who you, like, really trust and, and know. Um, it can be so many different people. Um, and in general, you know, massage is generally incredibly safe. So if you think it's a tension headache, Go get treated two or three times by a massage therapist if that's in your budget and your insurance. And if it's a tension headache, it'll probably get better. And if it doesn't, it might be something else. Yeah, that's great. I just thought of a resource that I'm also going to link and I'm just going to tell people so they can know to look for it. I think is it, I don't know if Reagan Chastain created it. I, mm, I think there's a group of fat liberation activists that created this, but I'm going to include a link to a spreadsheet that has, it is a little North America centric and certainly US centric, but it's a list of fat positive, body positive doctors, massage therapists, different medical and wellness practitioners that have been added by people who have gone to them. So, cause sometimes it's like, well, how do I know who to go to if they're going to be good? fit for me, but this is, a, this list might be a place to start. So I'm going to add that into the show notes as well. And yeah, and just a summary to go back to what I initially said, the, the cures for a lot of these are exercise based or can be exercise based. And often as fat people, we 
are alienated from those spaces. Um, and I'm just trying to reclaim a little bit more of that capacity for people to use their own body to help themselves. Yeah. Well, and Christy, on that note, because I feel like this is such an important point that I don't want to let escape us before we close, what messaging, what would you tell someone who has been harmed by exercise culture and is feeling really nervous about engaging intentionally with exercise in a way to support themselves, but doesn't want to be like re-traumatized by it all? Like what does that come up in your practice? Is that something that shows up? Yeah. Um, there are actually no rules. People have come up with a lot of fake rules about how to do things. And literally, if you just want to, there's so much access to things online now. Um, you know, fat safe yoga classes on YouTube where you watch someone, but it's live or even just on YouTube or on Instagram. There's so many options. Um, and it's it's your body and you get to do what you want with it. And if you're not ready or feel safe to start stretching, that's okay. You don't need to do that. If um, But if you want to, there's a bunch of little ways to start accessing it. And all of this happens a little bit at a time, right? There's no such thing as a too small amount to do. I know I've been advocating for do more because that's often what gets things better, but there's no such thing as too little. Like if, if I want to do push-ups, I don't need to go have a gym membership um, and have a big plan. Although my brain tells me I need a big plan. I can literally go up to a wall and do five wall push-ups and that's a start or go on the floor and do a couple. Like I can stretch every time I pass a door frame, which I have to do for my work. Um, there's no such thing as too little and it's your body. And when you're ready to do things, you'll do things. Oh, I love that, Christy, so much. There's no such thing as too little. Yeah. And and thank you for the shout out to how, because there are, and I've had them as guests and there's more guests upcoming who are in fat bodies and who are offering fat positive spaces for movement for exercise through zoom like I belong to or I did I've got a when I got my puppy everything stopped um I'm back to um body positive fitness which is a zoom based you know they have a lot of most of their instructors are plus size they have lots of different classes from zumba to stretch to yoga to everything and I keep my video off and I just do what my body is wanting to do and that is such a difference from how I think people who were participating or have participated in like sports culture and were part of sports teams and certainly myself, like as a former participant in those systems, it really was like you push and you push and you push and you push. And this is like the a very different message, which is, hey, there's no such thing as too little. Trust your body and follow what works for you. And I just... I need that permission all the time. And I think that's true for a lot of us because we're so indoctrinated differently. And in group exercise classes um, or even one-on-one, -on -one, feel free to speak up. Like no one, no one knows your body better than you do. And if you think something's not safe for you to do, don't do it. Right? And and so it's it's an empowerment piece top to bottom. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh, Christy, this is so, so helpful. I normally close by asking about joy, but I asked you that last time. So what should I ask you this time? Oh my, I don't know. I'm going to ask you about joy because I love asking about joy, but I'm going to ask it a bit differently. So right now, today, Mm. what brought you joy? Oh, you know what? Feeling healthy because I just got over uh, my second bout of COVID and it was a really horrible week. A lot of muscle pain. Oh, yeah. And so feeling like I can actually function and do life again is is really fantastic. And it really drives home the point, you know, fat and health are not connected the way we think they are because I have been unhealthy this past week and I could do nothing and uh, I can do everything this week. And you're fat last week and you're fat this week. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, so good. Oh, Christy, you're such a delight and a font of wisdom. I'm so glad you're here. You as well, Sophia. This was lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. For this second episode with Christy, I've chosen a poem by Maggie Anderson called The Thing You Must Remember. Uh, Whenever I read this poem, I'm moved by the loving support that's described, which of course connects me to the relationships that are often created with our caregivers, our health support people, our massage therapists. Um, And uh, it felt like the right one to share for this episode with Christy. It's called The Thing You Must Remember. The thing you must remember is how, as a child, you worked hours in the art room, the teacher's hands over yours, molding the little clay dog. You must remember how nothing mattered but the imagined dog's fur, the shape of his ears and his paws. The gray clay felt dangerous. Your small hands were pressing what you couldn't say with your limited words. When the dog's back stiffened, then cracked into white shards in the kiln, you learned how the beautiful suffers from too much attention, how clumsy a single vision can grow and fragile with trying too hard. The thing you must remember is the art teacher's capable hands, large, rough, and grainy, over yours, holding on. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Substack at fatjoy.substack.com. And please do check out the episode notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And we'll talk again soon.